0: an hour of truth for the battered but proud people of the Empire State. From the financial and entertainment epicenter of New York City to the sleeping and empty small cities and towns of upstate, which once bustled with manufacturing, mining, and farming. We all know from inspiration, history, and nature, we deserve a return to the success and growth of generations past, a birthright being squandered by corruption in Albany, and the depredations of an insecure, scheming mountebank posing as governor, who loathes both us and himself. As liberty beckoned to enslaved peoples behind the Iron Curtain via American broadcasts after World War II... We now say, believe, rise,
1: and join us. Welcome to Radio Free New York. Hey, guys. Welcome to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister, and we've got Bob Savage with us. Yes, indeed we
0: do. Welcome to – we're very pleased to have you back, Andrew.
1: Yeah, yeah. took a couple personal days. Glad that uh, Kevin was able to take care of things yesterday, and uh, good to be back and back on the air. And while it, while I was gone, it seems that um, you know politics hasn't stopped doing its thing. People haven't stopped doing its thing, and uh, there's just a lot going on. We got a lot to talk about today. Well, it's a
0: good thing because otherwise we'd have to stop doing the show. See, that's I, what we, I know. We have <laughs> to do a show like, every day, and yeah. if, if we don't have Andrew Cuomo and Jerry Nadler and Schumer and the Democrats' nutty virtual convention and uh, and all the other stuff going on in the state, what well, you know? Can't talk about sports because there aren't any. Yeah, so. well,
1: well, maybe we play like virtual Yahtzee and do like a play-by-play voiceover or something like that. I don't know. There, now, there's a new concept. See, no, nobody's done that probably because nobody would listen. But that's that's besides the point. So, um, yeah, I, you guys know I really like Second Amendment issues. They're they're very important to me, near and dear to my heart. And I saw something that was just really exciting. Kind of gave me like a little bit of hope here. And I wanted to share it with you guys because I think it's a discussion. Well, A, people should know about it, first and foremost. I think it will give us a little bit of motivation of some stuff that we can do here in New York. And then it's just something great to talk about and know about. So what happened a few days ago um, is that a federal court ruled against California's magazine capacity limit. So for those of you who may not be aware... In the state of California, they have a very similar magazine capacity limit to New York State, where it's limited to, I believe it's 10 rounds, you know, there's no grandfathering, there's there's this whole issue here. And so it's basically the same situation as New York, except the difference is uh, this federal court, I think it was the Ninth, yep, yep, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals um, took took that ban and threw it out. They said um, it, it is not constitutional. And I do have a, uh, a couple quotes here from the judges as a part of their brief. Um, so the first one is, even well-intentioned laws must pass constitutional muster. California's ban on magazines holding more than 10 bullets strikes at the core of the Second Amendment the right to armed self-defense.
0: Thank you. Yes, yeah. absolutely.
1: Yep, yep, absolutely. And then um, they they talk in the brief, they talk about how the law was passed You know, in the wake of heart-wrenching and highly publicized mass suiting, shootings, but it doesn't justify the scope. And um, in quotes, it is so sweeping that half of all magazines in America are now unlawful to own in California. That's right. Yeah. So so similarly this, this, in New York,
0: can we just yeah. point out, please?
1: Yeah, yeah. So so I, I think this is really good news. Anybody who's a Second Amendment supporter, um, hopefully hears this and thinks, Oh, hey, if it can happen in California, it could happen here. Well I-
0: uh, yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, by the way, uh, so Andrew's just giving you a piece of good news, ladies and gentlemen, and now I'm going to give you a piece of better news. Mm. And that is, you know, we're referring to the Ninth Circuit, which has historically been a really loony kind of circuit. At one point, 86% of their decisions that were appealed uh, were reversed on appeal. Uh, oh, wow. Because they're an extremely activist circuit, it's also an enormous circuit, because the Ninth Circuit covers, I believe, it's eight states in the in the in the West, and uh, so their decisions carry a lot of weight. The other circuit courts, which you know make up comprise the rest of the circuit courts in the United States, watched the Ninth Circuit a lot. So it also had a uh, uh, a disproportionate influence on precedent because. What, that's, what, that's the way the legal system works. They look for precedent uh, to decide new cases. Donald Trump <laughs> has done a, a fantastic job of repopulating the Ninth Circuit with judges who are much more conservative. And this is why you're getting all of a sudden different decisions out of the Ninth Circuit. I believe, last I checked, I think Trump had appointed three times as many justices Retiring, you know, uh, justices go away, have to be replaced. I think that he has replaced three times the number of justices in his first term that Obama placed on the bench in the Ninth Circuit during his eight years in office. So Trump has really done a number on the Ninth Circuit. There's a, been a big discussion predating Trump, by the way. Trump gets this hung on him. Uh, but predating uh, when uh, Trump became elected president, the, really the Ninth Circuit needs to be split up because it's just, you know, it's just turned. Yeah, it's just turned into this unwieldy monster and they have an enormous caseload. So uh, uh, Trump's done. This is this is. Not to be forgotten by voters as they head to the polls this November what Trump has done with the Ninth Circuit, and there's more to come.
1: Yeah, and so what What I thought was really interesting is that now the state of California is trying to figure out if they are going to appeal this ruling to a higher court. So I guess this case was heard by three justices, but the next level up there's 11 justices that, that would hear that. Does that, does that ring uh... – Ring true to you, Bob?
0: Yeah, I, I I'd have to that's look tra- at. I, I mean, I don't know what the trajectory of that is. This is so. There's a circuit court of appeals out there.
1: Oh, there's an appellate panel, right? It looks like. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
0: So th- it would go to that, and then after that, it would go to SCOTUS, I would imagine.
1: Yep. But yep. That's, that's it's it's yet.
0: still it's still a uh, you know the message has been gotten has been received in the Ninth Circuit.
1: Yeah, yeah. So what's interesting is I I read a, a different article. Um, that said that since this passed, so the, this ruling came out, I think it was four or five days ago. Um, it came out on Friday. That since then, over a million standard capacity magazines have found their way into the state of Florida in in just these last, like, four days. In, in Florida? So, yeah, or, or California, sorry. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so for those of you who are wondering what the significance of that is, Gun control advocates will call a standard capacity magazine a high-capacity magazine. Right. Words matter. They, they change what it means. So they're saying, oh, they're banning high-capacity magazines. Those are actually the magazines that were designed to work with a firearm from the manufacturer, the manufacturer's intent. And then these laws have put um, manufacturers and third parties in a situation where they had to kind of like make this crippled version um to to give out in states like new york and california
0: yeah not as safe and and really stupid and beside the point because you know okay so you can only put 10 rounds in your in your uh, handgun and then you got one in the chamber so that's a total of 11 like somebody can't push the button drop the mag out slap another fully loaded mag in the process takes one and a half seconds it's like picking up a pencil
1: yeah, yeah, it's 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 very very quick, and there is no limit to how many magazines you can carry on yourself. So it's all just you know a bunch of political rigmarole. Well, it's feel good stuff. It's it's, yeah.
0: uh, it's window dressing. It's like oh, we did something about gun
1: violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So so what what happens is these these people with the anti-Second Amendment agenda have changed the terminology that's used in the media. They've changed standard capacity magazines into calling them high-capacity magazines, which makes it sound very scary to people that don't know much about firearms. And so now what's happening is that all this stuff is flooding into California, and people are um, not dying.
0: It's I mean, amazing isn't it isn't, I mean, that, isn't that guy crazy i mean you would think that uh, you know california would look like chicago by now but it mm. uh, thankfully has not it's just uh, i i guess i guess california has suddenly realized or at least the judiciary has that hardware does not kill people people kill people yeah and i hold up chicago as an example And uh, New York State, New York City, by the way, where shootings are up one hundred and seventy six percent over last year, one hundred seventy six percent.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's just like, wow. You know, and and once again, it's not like that equipment made that happen. You know, that just happens to be the case um, based on people. And if you look at any of these places where you're seeing it's going up like crazy, usually democrat leadership and that's what we're going to talk about when we come back we're going to take a break here and i want to talk to you guys about what's going on in rochester my hometown and how it seems like they're going to try to blame guns again it's kind of confusing we'll be back in a moment on radio free new york you're listening to radio free new york Alright, welcome back to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister. And, uh, you know, I've I've got a headline to read for you guys. It is, A Night of Violence Brings a Call for Change. And before I opened this article, before I even read it, I already knew exactly what was going to be in it. I knew because I've seen this article, this similar type of title, um, this description even many, many times over the years, usually pops up every, I don't know, three to six months or so, and it goes something along the lines of somebody got shot, somebody got injured, some bad person did a terrible thing, and what we're going to do as a city is blame the piece of equipment used.
0: Yes, guns. Yep. it's
1: gun violence
0: which is yeah. uh, i i detest the term gun violence by the way because it's it's another one of these manufactured terms that the left likes to haul out and they, they just hang out in the trees and wait for something bad to happen so they can blame it on guns uh it's criminal use of firearms ladies and gentlemen that's what that's what is killing and maiming people the criminal use of firearms
1: yeah and i and and it's it's odd to me that guns Um, end up with this type of terminology because we've now had over the last I'll call it five years multiple instances where protests or rallies or something along those lines have happened and people have taken cars and drove vehicles straight through and killed people but I don't hear about vehicular violence or auto violence and when those things happen um, they're ready to blame the person for their actions. But for some reason, for whatever reason, um, when it comes to firearms, it's the gun's fault. The The gun makes you evil somehow and makes you want to just be violent and go out and kill people. I, I'm not really sure. I don't follow the logic. But this type of article pops up time and time and time again to the point where... It's almost comical, right and I it, you know it's it's like the same thing. I, like <laughs> you could go and probably go to any newscast website in the Rochester area, and if you could go through their archives, I mean, you would just see the pattern that keeps coming up and coming up, and the exact same thing. So a city official or some elected official um, gets interviewed to talk about what change needs to happen to fix this in the community. And it's always gun control, more gun buybacks, getting illegal guns off the street, stronger police presence. You know, insert those things here. More control, less freedom, constantly, every single time. It's so predictable. It happens every time. If that was going to work, why? Why do we have the problem?
0: Well, getting illegal guns off the street is a good idea. I'm totally in favor of that. Uh, What I'm not in favor of is taking guns away from lawful firearms owners who have a negligible crime rate when it comes to misuse of firearms and the commission of crimes. Actually, the the stat that is been a long-standing one a valid one is that law enforcement officers you gotta be careful about this in this day and age law enforcement officers commit more crimes than registered gun owners uh but right now we're in the mode of you know supporting our our uh men and women in blue, so I, I, I hesitantly point that uh, that out. But it is a telling statistic. And it's, I think people have, you know, Andrew, I think people have gotten smarter since the SAFE Act has been, has been passed because they realize that this is all a bunch of hokum, uh, that uh, this is a political agenda that's being pushed, and it, uh, it bears no resemblance to the truth about licensed gun owners.
1: Yeah, no, I agree, and and one thing I do want to throw out there when we talk about taking illegal guns off the streets, um, the government's idea of an illegal gun and my idea of an illegal gun, we've we've got some issues, <laughs> you know, because we've got the Safe Act in New York, for example, which makes firearms illegal. That to be honest, I I don't think firearms should be illegal. I I think that there's very few instances where somebody should be prevented from owning a firearm and in very few instances that they shouldn't be able to acquire one so when i hear the government say taking illegal guns off the street what they're what they're saying is they want people to feel comfortable but what what i feel like they mean especially coming out of albany is that we'll just keep doing this and making all the guns illegal and taking the illegal guns off the street is just like kicking in people's doors and uh, and and taking, like, e- eventually hunting rifles. I mean, that's, that's what we're down to at this point in New York.
0: Well, it's, you know, once again, we have the disconnect between reality and the political rhetoric that comes out of Albany. And a perfect example of this is Governor Headcase, a.k.a. Cuomo, and his rhetoric lately about uh, how somehow he has... Uh, This is, you know, if if you tell a lie that's big enough and you do it with enough conviction, a certain number of people will believe that with repetition. So now he's on the offensive about his nursing home uh, disaster. Uh, By the way, the Associated Press is reporting that business, about 6,500 patients in nursing homes dying from COVID is bunk. It's closer to 11,000. If the AP says 11,000, you know, it's 16,000. But, you know, Cuomo's out there pushing himself as some kind of a policy leader when it comes to the control of COVID. And uh, I'm not trying to change the subject here because I'm relating this back. He also sees himself as some kind of a a pace setter when it comes to reducing uh, what he calls gun violence. Really? 176% increase in shootings in New York City? Uh, I don't think those uh, shootings were committed by licensed handgun owners.
1: Yeah, yeah. No absolutely, and this is this is kind of the pattern that we see. Something happens, politicians react, the media runs a story, we go for stricter gun control, and when I say "we," I don't mean "we at us at all. I mean you know, elected officials who don't represent our values, And what ends up happening is we lose a little bit more liberty, a little bit more of our rights, and oh, by the way, um, the root issue doesn't get fixed. And and that, I think, is the biggest issue here. And I do want to give some credit to Mary Lupian, who sits on city council. Um, her and I agree sometimes, but not, not so often on policy. And I want to give her credit because she pointed out very rightly that the issues here, there are other things going on. For example, economic issues causing problems due to what's going on with COVID. Now, she didn't go on to say whether or not um, she believes that the policies put in place by the governor are causing these economic issues, but I will say that, yeah, as economics get bad, people commit more crime right so so if you're looking at gun control is the answer it's not you should be looking at economics
0: well and, um, and what's the key to uh, uh having an economic resurgence in the state open businesses back up we're in phase four my understanding of phase four going back four months now is that's when everything opens back up phase four means back to normal so why do we still have all these ridiculous restrictions the covid thing in case nobody's noticed it's dying off it's just like it's basically it's tapering off to nothing. Uh, I was at a gathering last night of, well, a number of people. Nobody was wearing a mask. Nobody in the room was wearing a mask. So I, I think that uh, it's very important for people to realize that uh, we need to get the economy back. We need to try to resuscitate our, our uh, small businesses, which are the lifeblood of the economy in the state. That is going to do more to... Uh, to to fix the socioeconomic problems and the violence than anything else. But uh, it's it's completely contrived at this point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And when people are pressed and they, they feel like they have nothing to do, nowhere to go, they, yeah, they resort to violence. So I wanted to give her credit for that. Another thing that she brought up that I think is important to mention is she, she also addressed this curfew that the mayor put on the city, banning gatherings that you can have at your own home. And how that's pushing people out of their homes, onto the streets, going to the bars or wherever where, this, you know, where the curfew doesn't apply. And it's just a great example of government stepping in and saying, I know better, and then causing terrible damage to the community, terrible damage to the economy, and to be honest, damage to people's lives. Because now people are resorting to violence and they, they're killing each other. I mean, that, that's what's happening because of these awful, terrible policies. And then at the end of the day, they want to say, hmm, maybe we need stricter gun control. Maybe they'll fix it this time. And uh, it's, it's not going to work, guys. Well, if
0: they, if they believe that, they're delusional because it's never worked.
1: Yeah, yeah. But, you know, what's, what's mind-blowing to me is that people, people do believe it you know and maybe not these specific elected officials but their their followers and their supporters believe it
0: well they may not believe in some cases they may believe it i think a lot of people don't believe it they just they just cynically use it as an opportunistic uh way to you know to try to grab more of our constitutional rights because that's what the left does the left is all about control
1: yeah yeah no absolutely Guys, you are listening to Radio Free New York. We're going to take a break here. Um, When we come back, I got to tell you, Cuomo is just. He's always got something for us to talk about. We've got a couple Cuomo things to talk about. And uh, if you thought his poster and his painting were bad, uh, you guys just wait. We've got some more for you. We'll be back in a moment on Radio Free New York. listening to radio free new york all right welcome back to radio free new york i'm your host andrew hollister before i share with you guys cool most latest work of art i guess we'll call it um bob was telling me that Cuomo's actually kind of interjecting himself into the crime issues that are happening in Rochester and other cities across the state, and he's uh, putting together some executive orders and some other stuff. Bob, what's going on with that?
0: Well, we got uh, Cuomo has taken note over the weekend, the, the past weekend, of the shootings, of course, which are up vastly uh, throughout the state. Uh, we already noted earlier in the program, 176% increase in New York City, up 54% in Rochester, up 66% in Buffalo. I would imagine with all the Antifa and Black Lives Matter violence that takes place at uh, similar numbers in other cities, other population centers. So what is Cuomo's reaction to this? Well, uh, it's another executive order. Okay, we, yeah, I guess we've dispensed Altogether with the legislature, we we just don't we don't, you know bother what, what with we passing. You know we don't we need pass just... no stinking laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, he's got a new executive order uh, on policing uh, that oh, he wow. wants to impose on everybody. Uh, his he wants police departments. He's, he's he's put forth the word to police departments across the state to come up with a plan addressing. Get ready to take notes. Uh, use of force by police. Use of force by police. Okay, that uh, uh, I believe that's also known as enforcing the law. But he wants to know, he wants to send a little memo out to all the police departments that, you know, that may not be the best thing for you to do in his vision. Uh, he wants police departments to address community policing. So I think that uh, is tantamount to saying, you know, we've we got to have more social workers out there when there's, when it's time for somebody to be arrested, uh, we need to send out, you know, an MSW or a CSW to, to just talk to everybody. Because that's, that's what the left does. They think that's how you get things done is you talk about stuff. Uh, uh, remember uh, Barack Obama, the beer summits and everything else? Uh, it's all about talk, 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 talk. Uh, bias awareness. See, so what that is implicitly is a suggestion that all police departments have bias. In other words, they hate black people, which is just not true. Restorative justice. Restorative justice basically is uh, another uh, one of these lefty terms that is essentially what it boils down to is redistribution. Restorative justice—that's taking money from you and giving it to other people. And transparent citizen complaint disposition procedures. He wants comments from police. On citizens' complaint dispositions. Well, I I believe that most police departments have disciplinary boards and they have procedures in place. And the police unions have procedures in place to deal with rogue officers and people who, uh, you know, uh, should not be police officers being police officers, which is what produced the mayhem in Minneapolis back in May. Uh, here in the Rochester metro, we may all recall that we had a real mess in the Greece police department 10, 15 years ago, and that got handled very well, I think, uh, by the enforcement mechanisms and structures that were in place. But not according to Andy. Andy wants, uh, he wants more opportunities for you know community activists to tell the police how to do their jobs. So small wonder that nobody wants to do police work anymore.
1: Yeah, it's actually it's it's really interesting that um, so many people train to become police in Rochester and then they leave the area and become police in other states. And I think some of that speaks to obviously how just terrible it is in New York to live here and work here. Um, I, I take that back living here isn 't the terrible part I, I love the state. I love traveling, I love going to the Adirondacks. I love going to the southern tier, the finger Lakes. The state that we have is beautiful, and we have so many wonderful people. We just have terrible policy, terrible leadership, and just awful, awful taxes so So I know that 's like right off the bat that 's one of the issues. Then the other is the work environment is pretty crappy as well, especially for law enforcement. Um, you know i I got to say that i don't i don 't see how any of this executive order is going to make things better for police necessarily or the community and I think this is the problem with government because government has gotten so large and so expanded that they think that they are the answer for problems and here 's the thing. There, there are certainly things that need to be changed and addressed in policing today. I believe that 100%, and I I agree, we need to make some changes. I don't know that government has any idea how to implement those changes. They, they're they just totally stuck there. It's, it's just the same mundane job over and over again. They have no innovation. They have no idea, whereas you see other parts in the open market um, – that, that we've fixed issues. You look at Uber. Uber and Lyft fixed problems with the taxi industry where people would tell me all the time, they would take a cab, they would get overcharged, it would smell like puke and cigarettes in the back of the cab and just be disgusting. But there was, there was no option, there's nothing available. Then, then came along Uber and Lyft and they implemented something so simple that fixed the problem a review system you could write a review about the person who gave you a drive and then when somebody wanted to give you a ride you could choose you could see the reviews and go oh the last four people said they were blasting music while giving them a ride and the car smelled funny like I, I don't want that I'm gonna cancel this request right they want the, they all want the five stars. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what's it do? It encourages the Uber drivers to be the best they can possibly be, to keep their cars clean, to be, you know, kind and respectful and, like, good to their passengers. And this is something that government just can't see, this idea that, well, if if we think that there are problems between the community and the police, then why not allow the community to grade the police and, and as they place a request – they can have a rating system or something like that. I'm not saying that's the exact answer, but what I'm saying is government is is too bullheaded and too large to realize that we have innovative ways and innovative technology where we could actually have the police and other parts of government perform so much better than they do today and have the community be so much happier with them than they are today just by allowing the community to have say in allowing government to basically get out of the way, stop with this top-down approach of like I think I know everything, and and go with the approach of well let the people decide. Let them let them use. There's already apps that you can use to contact the police. You don't have to call 911 anymore, and let them use that app. And and an officer gets dispatched, and they go, ah, uh, you know what? Mm nope, I, I don't like the last few uh, you know, things that were left about this officer. I'm going to cancel my request. It's not actually that important, um, which would save us a ton of taxpayer money, by the way. Or request somebody else. It's, it's that simple. But you realize that by requesting somebody else, your wait time's going to be longer. And that's, that's just the reality. And I think that alone, eventually you've got a couple of these officers that are the bad ones the ones that everybody knows exist, the ones that the coworkers know they exist and know that that's a lawsuit waiting to happen, um, all of a sudden those people are just sitting at the station and never get dispatched. And, well, the community has decided in a free market way which police they want to interact with and how they want to interact with them. Mm. And uh, those other ones, they, they don't make it.
0: Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not I'm not sure I—with all due respect, I'm not sure I agree with that because, you know, you can't call a competing police department if you don't like the service that you got from the one that you called last time. And I, I, I think that it's, it would be very difficult to structure a, a community publicly accessible rating service uh, or rating system uh, for individual police officers because it would be so subject to abuse— Uh, I think Uh,
1: everything's everything's subject to abuse I mean you could you could just not like the uber driver because of the clothes he was wearing like there's the markets overcome these issues you know, like decades ago, government's just so slow. They well, can't we, catch we
0: definitely agree on government should get get out of it. And I, I think yeah. that what we what we have to do right now, you want to talk, if anything needs to be restorative, we have to have respect for police restored. And so the media narrative needs to stop and we need to stop having uh, no talent, low talent uh, government leaders, mayors, district attorneys uh, in, in all of these communities. Blaming everything on the police—it's just—it's just unwarranted. The police do not create crime. What, what we have is we have a feral kind of urban society where people are disconnected from consequences which should be visited upon them for bad behavior. They, they—you know—people who like the Antifa types, the BLM types, and communities who are creating all this violence need to be swiftly prosecuted to the maximum extent of the law. As opposed to the permissive attitude, where the uh, you have these mayors and county executives who are you know uh, feeding the tiger, hoping he will eat them last.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of broken stuff out there. That that's for sure. You know, you've got uh, a lot of civil unrest. You've got people trying to tear down the structure that exists today, and then you've got people who are saying, "Hey, wait! But what what about me? Don't forget about me." I mean, it's there's a lot going on for sure, guys. We're gonna take a break when we come back. Cuomo's writing a book. Gotta tell you about it. We'll be back in a moment on Radio Free New York. Radio Free New York. All right, welcome back to Radio Free New York. I'm your host Andrew Hollister. You guys have seen Cuomo's painting, you've seen his poster, well, now he's writing a book. Cuomo is writing a book, Um, it is called American Crisis, A Remarkable Portrait of Leadership During a Crisis and a Gritty Story of the Gut-Wrenching Choices that Point the Way to a Safer Future for Us All. Wait a minute, he wrote this about himself? I'm, yeah. Yeah, the books about him. Can anybody say narcissism? Yep. Omg. Yeah, yeah. So, so th- this book is going to be interesting. And here's here's the thing. I I now feel like a a moral dilemma with myself about this, because I I want to buy the book because I know how cringy it's going to be, but I I don't want to give him any more of my money, and I certainly don't want to buy the book and contribute to the numbers of his book sales, which they'll then say is a success.
0: Well, why don't you use one of the uh, – listen, here's a tool that we have in our arsenal here, Andrew, as media types. You just you call the publisher and you ask him for a review copy.
1: Ah, okay. All You're right, the host yeah, of a daily well, we'll to talk show. I would like, yeah.
0: uh, give me a, send me a review copy of uh, Andrew's uh, Enough About Me, Let's uh, All Read About Me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so th- this book is pretty interesting. It's already drawn. Um, it's not even supposed to come out until October 13th. So I, I don't know why so far out, I guess I haven't, haven't done a book with a publisher or anything like that. So I'm not sure why the scheduling is like that. I don't know if that's normal, abnormal, but it's not, it's not scheduled to come out for almost 60 days. And, um, it, You, mean, you it's,
0: mean like right before the election?
1: Yes, well, that part is uh-huh. on purpose for uh. sure. hundred percent. um and I think he announced it or had it announced like right after he spoke at the DNC. so clearly, like using his position of power and elevated status to market this, um which we all paid for, by the way, as taxpayers, but you know that's that's a different story there. Um, it was this, this book by by the publisher, by the way. Um, has hailed it as a powerful testament to true leadership in times of extreme mm-hmm. crisis. That would be
0: the that would be the publisher who wants to sell copies of this dopey book.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. They go on. They they they've got uh, quite the the. This is Crown Books, by the way. They said this uh, yesterday. In his own voice, Andrew Cuomo chronicles an American crisis the ingenuity, and sacrifice required of so many to fight the pandemic, sharing his personal reflections and the decision-making that shaped his policy and offers his frank accounting and assessment of his interactions with the federal government and the White House, as well as other state and local political and health officials.
0: Mm. And I'm sure that there's going to be a full account in there of the nursing home issue. Which you know he's blocked an investigation uh, into that. The, the Associated Press, which by the way is no friend to conservatives, has reported in the last twenty-four hours that uh, New York's nursing home deaths from COVID and directly attributable to Cuomo's execrable policies, uh, probably more like eleven thousand deaths as opposed to the sixty-five hundred admitted by the state.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here's here's the thing. So. It's fine. Cuomo's writing a book. Cuomo wrote a book. Either one. Expect it to be very political and to shift the blame on everybody but himself. No, for sure. It won't be political. Yeah. It'll be informative. Yeah, yeah, of course. The thing is, we're not through this coronavirus thing yet. So how do you write a book about your success through a pandemic – when we haven't even turned the last page yet, tomorrow you, we could have a huge resurgence in New York City, or any anything else. You know, a month from today, the the news articles could read, "Wow, New York really, really screwed up here. Look at how much better all the other states did." It wouldn't you know, make like any,
0: the, at this point, Andrew. It wouldn't make any difference. Look at the death rate in New York. Yeah. It's, a multi- no, it. it's a multiple of any number of states that you could add together. It's the worst COVID track record in the country. But of course, the media is out there trotting the opposite, um, you know, narrative around because they have they have realized the truth in the totalitarian's uh, playbook. That is, if you tell a lie that's big enough, and you repeat it enough, and you tell it with enough conviction, that. You'll get a significant number of people to believe it. But it's a huge lie. It's a huge lie, much like the lies that you're hearing all this week at the DNC virtual convention. I mean, Michelle Obama's speech was appalling, not to get off the subject.
1: Yeah, I I didn't hear it. I I heard some stuff about it. I actually think, um, you know, Trump, for everything he is and for everything he isn't, the response I saw made me laugh pretty hard and pretty good. It's just full of lies. Um, you know, it's, so. it's
0: everything of Russia and collusion and children in cages and, and, and all the other nonsense and how it's all, all the COVID deaths are Trump's fault. It's, it's just stupid.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But, but I, I do want to, you know, bring us back to Andrew Cuomo here because he's claiming success and leadership in, in something that isn't even done yet, you know, and, and this book is going to go out and it's going to sell and, People Twelve, 12 copies. Twelve. No, I I think he's going to get in the millions. I I think it's going to no, happen. I, I think people are going to spend money Jeez. on this. I, Cuomo's so? book, seriously? Yeah. Well, I see people in other states worshiping Cuomo. Well, you're seeing. I, I see them. You're seeing liberals they, in other
0: states worshiping.
1: I think there's at least a million of them that are going to buy the book. I don't uh, know. I could be totally wrong. I don't know. We'll we'll see. I uh, think he's going to sell a lot of copies of this book. I think it's going to be complete garbage. Um, and, and I, I gotta say, I mean, it, it, it'll it be interesting. I can't wait to see some of the quotes in this book. It's going to make my stomach churn for sure. Well, the, um,
0: I, I think that you could probably count on the DNC to buy a, a whole bunch of copies of the book, depending on how his fortunes are going politically, because that's what they did with, you know, Hillary Clinton's Remember What happened? Uh, I remember, I think it was 10 days or two weeks after Hillary Clinton's book, uh, was released. It was on the end cap in Target. I was at Target for some reason. It was there for three ninety nine. This is a book oh, that you know re- retailed for twenty three ninety nine or twenty nine ninety nine, and it was there for for three or four bucks on an end cap like a clearance. So I would I would expect a similar performance. With all due respect, I know you think it's going to sell a million. Uh, they would sell probably nine hundred ninety thousand to the DNC, who would you, you know buy it yeah. back. No.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's interesting. You know, I don't know anything about uh, how many people have bought the poster. You know, I I should maybe look at that. Um, but I, I suspect that the people who purchase it, um, will, will definitely there's going to be people that just buy into it because they already are, you know, you, you have these people walking around that think that, you know, he's just walking on water with his COVID response and he doesn't even follow his own instructions, which is, you know, a whole other topic and a whole other bit of discussion. So it will be interesting to see if he contradicts himself in his own book.
0: Oh, I think he can count on it.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so. And then there's, there's that other question of is this even an ethical thing to do while you're sitting in office writing a book and using your position in office – to to market and sell your book because this is the same type of stuff that people accuse Trump of where they say, oh, Trump is like, you know, fluffing up his business or this or that and using his position in the presidency to like market and push things that are either his own or friends of his or donors of his. Is, isn't Cuomo doing the same exact thing right now by writing and publishing this book about himself in office, and then where are the proceeds of those funds going to go? I don't
0: think there's going to be any proceeds to distribute. I don't think it's anything that we have to worry about, to be honest with you. But yeah, uh, yeah
1: it could be. I don't know. I guess uh, I guess we'll see. We'll we'll see what happens. We'll we'll give it a couple months, see what happens. But but I, I still think it's unethical. I don't think you should be doing it. So. Guys, you're listening to Radio Free New York. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back same time, same place tomorrow.